episode 32 of the Stone Signs podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Kendall Gilmet here with Harry Pavlidis. I'm wiping dog slobber off my dog's head. It's not her slobber. It's yeah, my dog is super, super slobbery. Oh, Susan Shirley is not at all. Really? Yeah, like I've seen her drool like one drip when I made her really wait for food once, and it was like. Normally, that's like raining from the mouth type of stuff for a dog, but she's yeah. just like, like, okay. Yeah. Like, we go to the dog park. She's like playing with somebody and then, or like some other dog, and they are just get like slimed. Yes. Shirley had that happen on playing with the Mastiff. Oh, jeez. The Mastiff was like mouthing her around her neck and shoulders and stuff, and, you know, and she comes back to me and she's just like, Ugh. looks like she just got out of the bath. It was so wet. I'm like, that's gross. Now, welcome to episode 32. 32. Dog, dog fluids, and uh, <laughs> no, we won't go any further into that. So, yeah, Otani is, uh, was, uh, I think, number one on the uh, Angels. After, I mean, not number one, uh, number two. Year. Yeah, he was he wasn't Trout, then Otani, and then a drop off. Yeah, I remember that now. So Otani won't be around for a little while. He'll be back in May, right? I believe that is. I don't think he's going to be opening day DH. Yes, I think that's sounds right. So it does suck that we're not going to be able to see him pitch because he was awesome. He was. Um, he did all the things historically so. It was literally the, you know, it was what it was, it was what it was dreamt. (laughs) Like, this will be like Babe Ruth stuff. And it was literally things that no one had done since Ruth or even Ruth himself hadn't quite accomplished. Like, you know, it, it was remarkable. So, and he's young, he's, he's such a young man and he has, and he's, and he was able to accomplish that much in baseball while fighting injuries. And did that, he? That was deal. he? Did he? He wasn't on the shelf any time other than. No, he, I think. He oh had no, like he was, and then he stuff. came back. Right? He had like leg injury. He's he's always seemed to be getting. He had different nicks and boo boos and things. I think. I think he had a couple down times before the the, oh. the uh, shoulder problems. That Excuse me, elbow problems. God, not shoulder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah please no. Uh. <laughs> So, yeah, yes. so, so, so what, what was I? There's some people been tweeting things, and this is all pretty dated. So I'm scrolling back. Oh, here it is. All right, this is from Darren Wilman, who everybody should probably know as a baseball savant from Major League Baseball Advanced Media. Yes. Otani became the only player in Major League Baseball history to hit 10 home runs. Oh, excuse me. This isn't from Darren. This is from this is this one's from Halo's Heaven. Sorry. Otani became the only player in MLB history to hit 10 home runs, steal 10 bases, and pitch 10 games in a single season. He also did those things well, uh, as they point out. And he became the first player in history to hit 15 home runs while striking out 50 hitters. So, (laughs) and then over in the modern era, era of data, this is the Darren Bowman remark. This is a little before the end of the season, so the final numbers may have changed. But at that time, Otani was seventh in average exit velocity you know, as a batter. How mm-hmm. hard is he hitting the ball on average? There's probably problems with doing this as just an average, but whatever. Yep. Close enough. Uh, and fourth in average fastball velocity. 
at 96.7 among starting pitchers. That is not amongst relievers. So he had some of the best heat coming out of a, you know, out of this rotation in all of baseball. And he was one of the hardest hitting sluggers at the plate. So I looked up some. <laughs> it's crazy. That's insane. It is. I looked up some things relative to that. So we all kind of think about certain pitchers who we think are great hitters or good hitters or fun to watch hit or whatever. So Otani, this is after the end of the season. So his average fastball velocity was 97.3. That seems high, but that's sort of half. Um, And then his average exit velocity at the end of the season was 92.6. So he, the only person even close is Bumgarner. Not super surprising there, but his average velocity was 91.4 and his average exit velocity was 91.0. Who's that guy in the Reds? Michael Lorenzen. Is that, is that him? Mm-hmm. Who's actually going to be probably listed as an outfielder relief pitcher this year? That guy can rank. Yeah. Was he? He may he not, not show up my, because. He did not make my list. Probably because he does not bat enough. You probably, you, you know, if you have any type of plate appearance threshold, he's not going to show up. Okay, so his fastball velocity is like 95. And I'm confused by this. Okay, here we go. And, and, uh, I can't figure out how to switch this to. Try that. It's not really working. Yeah, I wish I could figure this out. But anyways, we should look at Warren's and because uh, he's he hits the ball very hard too. So he may be up in that group. But yeah, Bumgarner, he does not throw. He's not a high velocity pitcher. No. So there are some other pitchers who who people think kind of generally are good hitters. Um, Kershaw, Degrom, Greinke. So. Greinke was the only one even nominally close in terms of their fastball velocity and their exit velocity. Not that those necessarily correlate in any way, but um, Greinke's average fastball was 90 and his average exit velocity was 80.7. <laughs> and then DeGrom and Kershaw both had average exit velocities in the mid to low 70s. Wow. Yeah. So I mean... In wow. comparison to the pitchers that, that hit, uh, Otani is, is... He's not a pitcher who can hit. He's a hitter who can hit. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's a legitimate bat to put as a DH. I know there, there were some questions about him hitting against lefties, but that, I'm not too worried about that. He's As born. a 23-year-old. I, I don't feel like we people have... Maybe we have. I don't think baseball's made a big enough a deal about this. He did win the Rookie of the Year. Yeah, he did, which is no surprise. But well, some Yankee well, fans were not happy, and they and it was like, well, the guy pitched and hit super and, well. And it's like so, you know, he didn't play that much. It's like he played plenty. Yeah, add up the two. It's like it, there's just it's just a very this. It's like Andrew Har had a very good season, was a very good rookie third baseman, and that's super. But it's not, it, yeah. It was kind of ridiculous for people to be uh, having sour grapes over 
over that. Over a 100-year a talent and experience and season. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a little yeah, bit different. It's a little crazy to think that you would be even shocked, you know. But, you know, fans. Yankee we were bonders. Our Yankees. <laughs> all teams are. All, yeah. all fans. <laughs> That's true. All fans suck. <laughs> yes. You're all and, equally bad. How and everybody that? hates your team. That's right. Just I'm remember that. biased against all 30 teams. So, yeah. Otani, if he continues to play gets healthy, does things like this, he should go to the Hall of Fame. Even if he's not a Hall of Famer as a batter or a pitcher separately, he should, it should it, to me, it's like that will be, that will, that will be a, pro, a conundrum we face someday in baseball, is that the player wasn't really great as a pitcher or great as a hitter. He was just really good at both and did it both for a long enough time. You know, like imagine if Harold Baines had also pitched. Then he might be a Hall of Famer. Oh. <laughs> So the uh, bar was lowered for the Hall of Fame entry. Yeah, it sure I don't was. think it's. I don't think we can should say that Baines is not a Hall of Famer, not deserving of being a Hall of Famer. You look at his career and his stats, and there's things in there that that merit that. But we have to also be honest that there are a lot of players who have not been, it, it, you know, getting consideration. Yeah, there are players who are on better, the ballot who are. Just, who are hey yeah. man, there's like Bobby Gritch isn't in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Lou Whitaker's not in the Hall of Fame either. Lou Whitaker's not in the Hall of Fame, yeah. Kenny Lofton's not in the Hall of Fame. I think Jim Edmonds fell off the ballot, or maybe. I don't know. But it's it's fine. Like, okay, let's go big hall, but there's all these players who were way better. Let's not make too many exceptions for guys who were not that great. Like, fine, he had a very long career, and he was you know, a very well-regarded player. By his yeah, teammates. it feels like Fine, that's. But let's, but let's not go. To, let's not make this a habit. It feels like it's that he was well regarded and, and you know seemingly a, a good guy mm-hmm. uh, more than more than anything. Which is uh, I don't know. Are you a, are you a big hall guy or a small hall guy? I'm a big hall guy now. Because just, because I, it's going that way. <laughs> yeah, basically, I'm I'm a little tired of the uh, the ballot's too small. Yeah. We're not, we're not, so that's one problem. The amount of time you can spend on the ballot is too short. Um, the number of players who aren't getting considered or are getting partial consideration and thusly screwing up the ballot in, in various ways because of PED associations is pretty high. And then you have these, so you have a lot of really good, good, if not good, if great players who are not getting even considered. And the Veterans Committee can't just come in and, and say, okay, we're going to put in a closer and a DH. It's kind of a, it's like, it's kind of unfair to the two players they selected because to me, they're being used as a middle finger in a way, like not intentionally, right. but they just, it's like, look at it. It's like, if you were, if you were one of those players we've mentioned, like Kevin Brown, you know, guys like that, it's like, you'd be kind of annoyed. Like, I, am I going to get a veterans committee, you know, to consider me? Is it, you know, how, how haphazard is this? And it's it's just so, okay, let's, if Harold Baines is a Hall of Famer, then all these other people are without a doubt. Okay, and, just looking at this year's ballot relative to Harold Baines. Rick Ankeel, no. 30 jaws, we're talking here, okay, 30. So point that out. This isn't like a guy with a 60 jaws. This is a guy with 50. This is a 30. 
Right. A- average Hall of Fame is like 52. Is that right? Yeah. Something, something like, that. like that. Okay. Rick Ankeel. Is he in, in, in the relative to Harold Baines? Is he in the hall? No. No. Jason Bay? No. Lance Berkman? Yes. Yes. Barry Bonds? Definitely. Yeah. Uh-huh. Roger Clemens? Yes. Yes. Freddie Garcia? No. No. No but for me. I have to hesitate because it's like, well, what is he have a 30 Jaws in there? Fre- sweaty Freddy. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. Like, you have to look so much further down. I think this is what's more, I mean, more important is pointing out how close or not these people are. Guess who has the 30.9 Jaws? Freddy Garcia. Really? Yes. Wow. He's a no for me, even with that caveat, although I liked watching him. Um, um, I mean... John, John Garland is a no for me as well. I'm just going down the list. But I, 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 I'm going to be stuck on Freddie Garcia. That's hilarious. I guess there's more pictures of him, but still, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, who is... John, John Garland is next. Maybe, maybe. No, for me, but I don't. I don't think he probably even sniffs. Freddie Garcia is not a Hall of Famer, and that Travis Hafner. He probably had a better. Uh, gosh darn it! Twenty-four jaws. Twenty-four point seven jaws. You have it open. Thank you. You're welcome. That's pretty close. Okay, so pretty he's close. a borderline Hall of Famer. Yeah. See, that, see, okay. But that's a no. Now we're talking crazy. Yeah. Uh, Big Pronk fan, love Pronk. Saw him the one time I saw a game in that stadium. He hit two home runs, line drives, nice right center. It was awesome. But no, not a hall, not an idea. No. Yeah. Uh, no. Next one, Roy Halladay is a definite yes. Number thirty-two. Um, it's our episode number is the Roy Halladay episode. Oh, doc. there you go, the Doc episode, if Rest you will. He's Doc. Yeah, he should be in. He was a yeah, definitely. God, in. he was so good. He was so good. So good. Um, Such a great picture. Todd Helton. Yes. Todd Helton's a yes for me as well. He's got 53.9 jaws. Um, and uh, if I recall correctly, a, a DRC plus favorite. He is, yes. Uh, Andrew Jones. Yeah, if, if Baines is a Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, I mean, stuff. Andrew Jones is borderline Hall of Fame for me. To begin with. Right? Yeah, yeah, to begin with. Uh, 54.7 jobs. These guys are way ahead of Baines. Yeah. Totally. Way, way. Jeff Kent, next. Yes. He's a yes I've always for me, felt he's a, period. He was always very close yep. and probably deserved. Ted Lilly. Oh, no, but he, I would love it if he's even What's his close. jaws? Tell me his jaws. Is he better than Freddy? We are going to have D, D Jaws, Deserve Jaws, eventually. We have some more work to do, but we'll, we'll roll that out. Uh, 25.9. Oh, sorry. So close. Yeah. So, okay. Average Hall of Fame pitcher is 61.8 Jaws. Yeah. Okay. So you have to be higher than. Yeah. So. Um, all right. So Ted Lilly's a no. Derek Lowe is a, no. a no. I don't I'm not even going to look him up. That's a no. He's a first ballot. So uh, Edgar is a yes. For me, yes. no matter what. Easy, uh, yes. If Harold Baines is in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's just make it very clear. Uh, Fred McGriff There's, is a yes. Yes, then yes. If, if Baines is a Hall of Famer, then McGriff is a Hall of Famer. Yes. His Jaws is 44.3. Yeah. Uh, Mucina is a yes anyway. Oops. 
in my world. Uh, Darren Oliver is a no um, in probably everyone's world. He'll Ooh. fall off the ballot this year, I bet. Yeah. Um, Roy Oswalt, uh, first ballot. And uh, I think he'll probably eventually get in the Hall of Fame. You think so? He's close. Let's see. I'd think about him some more. But he was very, very good for yeah. quite a long time. Yeah. Uh, okay, he's 45.2 jobs. All right. Yeah. Pretty good. Close. Yeah, close. Andy Pettit's a yes. Um, in my in my world. How much better was Pettit than Oswald? Oh, let's see. Probably significantly. Am I? I would think, but I'm not sure. Let's see. Uh, forty-seven point two. So interesting. Interesting. Um, Juan Pierre, first ballot. No. Is a no, but he's I, the man who broke up Ted Lilly's uh, no hitter. The closest I've ever come to witnessing a no hitter was oh, uh, nice. Pierre weeding off the ninth with a single off of Ted Lilly. Juan Pierre, of all people. He's got sixteen point nine jaws. So. No. Uh, Placido Polanco, I'm not going to bother looking up. That's a no. Manny Placido. Ramirez is a yes. Manny. Yeah, Manny is a great. Mariano Rivera, yes. Yes, Mariano, yes. Our um, discussion topic last year's Hall of Fame, Scott Rowland. Yes. Uh, if Harold Baines is a Hall of Famer, yes. Scott Rowland. Yes, Scott Famer. Rowland's a Hall of Famer, yes. Um, <laughs> Kurt Schilling. <laughs> Um, uh, he's an asshole, but he's he probably, probably, probably deserves career. to be in the Hall of Fame on, yeah. based on his playing career. But Gary, boy, he really ships up, isn't it? Yeah. Gary Sheffield Gary is Sheffield. next. Yeah, he's close, isn't he? But with Baines in, you got to put Sheffield. Oh, I would put Sheffield in. Either way, let me. I don't know his jaws. Let me look. He's close. He's probably close. Damn, was he fun to watch? He was amazing. Super fun to watch. Uh, forty nine, forty nine point three. So pretty, pretty good. Sammy Sosa. Um, hey, I mean, he I did know. what he did. If Baines is a Hall of Famer, Sosa is too. Yeah, so that's the thing. It's like, you yeah. just, yeah. If you were a borderline Hall of Famer before last week, you yeah. are now bona fide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, uh, if that's the standard, that's okay. But Sammy's cool. got 51.2 jaws. So, too, too great. He's right there. Miguel Tejada. Um, Man, he had a long career. Uh, PEDs will probably keep him up because uh, he wasn't that good. But um, let's see. He was good, but... 41.9. Yeah, so wow. That's yep. short. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Um, Omar Vizquel, another oh, guy who was very fun to watch. but Yeah, but I think he's... Offensively, it's interesting. A there's light. a lot of debate about his, was his defense even as good as it was rated. Mm-hmm. Thirty-six point two jaws. Yeah. Sorry, Omar, not gonna make it. Billy Wagner. Uh, I'm still. I think I, I may have said something exact opposite of this, but I'm still a little uh, iffy on closers making the Hall of Fame. But twenty-three point seven. Twenty-three point seven jaws. Yes, yeah, that's not a lot. <clears throat> Average for relief pitcher is um, thirty-two point three. So that's six relief pitchers in the Hall of Fame. You don't need that many. <laughs> you don't. Who would it be? It's it's Bruce Suter. Is he a Hall of Famer? I don't know. Rich Gossage uh, is. 
Um, Trevor Hoffman is. Um, Raleigh Fingers. Raleigh Fingers is. Dennis Eckersley. Was he, is he count as a relief? He was both. Probably would count as a relief pitcher. It's four. I don't know. Probably glaring omission right now, but sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's it's relief pitchers are a strange thing to me. Yeah. But Mariano is different. Yes, yes, he's he's definitely in in my world too. Um, Larry Walker is a yeah, yes. Sure. Vernon great. Wells. Yeah. No, it's like a twenty-something jaws like that. Yeah, I don't think he's probably twenty-seven point three. That's better than I thought, and closer to Baines than I'd care to imagine. My gosh. Yeah. See, this is really weird. Yep. Yeah, you open up a, a can of worms that. I don't think you really want to open up with this. No, you really don't. Huh. Kevin Euclid is next on the list, and I'm surprised that he has 31.9 jaws. So that's higher than I would have expected. I mean, this is very interesting, isn't it? Um, and so Baines is, you know, was fine and played a long career, but we have to be careful about what we, where we put the line for the Hall of Fame, especially since there are so many better players who yeah. are not, not in, not getting in, you know, we it's... won't get in. Yeah. Michael Young is the last one on the, on the ballot and, uh, he has 23 jaws, which is actually lower than I would have expected. I would have, yeah. I thought, yeah, I, uh, thought he was a good player, but, um, if you, if you make the ballot, you played long enough to be, you, you were good. Yeah. Like Darren Oliver played forever cause he was a decent relief pitcher. He's not going to get the Hall of Fame, but it's cool that he gets to have his name on a ballot. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Even that is, is pretty You cool. earned that privilege. Yeah, man, he did play for a long time. He was, I think, the last... Was it him or Jambi who was the last guy who was... Well, no, Jambi, I think, is younger than me. But I think Oliver may have been the last player in baseball who was older than me. Hmm. He debuted in 1993, and then he pitched all the way to... 2013 so he started before I graduated high school and he ended after my first son was born <laughs> almost almost when my second son was born so. it's a long career it was for Oliver yeah 93 he played he pitched till I think he was 44 like 42 42 42 but it's, it's, yeah let's get it done good job congratulations Darren Oliver Good luck, Otani. And you're so okay. So if we're going to have this two-way phenomenon. We're definitely going to have to, you know, hopefully in like 20 years with the Hall of Fame ballot. It's really confusing. <laughs> yeah, it likely will be. So I have another question. We're a little bit all over the place here, but um, yeah. so there's um, the Mariners. Just oh wait, s- hmm? let's not leave the Hall of Fame yet. Okay. Congratulations, future Hall of Famer Adrian Beltre. Yes. Your retirement. Definitely. He'll be in the Hall of Fame. First ballot. First ballot. Right? Yeah. He, I, I think. So here's my question Who gets yep. in the Hall of Fame first? Scott Rowland or Adrian Beltre? Mm-hmm. We'll let our readers, uh, listeners, whatever you're reading the transcript of this, Where'd listeners, tweet us. Because I'm curious what you think. Who gets in the Hall of Fame first? Scott Rowland or Adrian Beltre? Do you have a strong feeling on this? Me? No, that's why I'm asking. Do 
you want to do you want to give your opinion next show or do you want to i will um i will just leave the question lingering okay we'll we'll bathe in it okay uh i have a strong feeling about it but... all right why don't you tell them how they can reach us and then we'll talk about them you can find us on Twitter at stolen underscore signs. You can email us stolen underscore signs at baseballperspectus.com. And you can rate and review us on the iTunes store or wherever you get your podcasts. After All right. So the Mariners. Yes. The Mariners just signed, I think as a free agent, um, Caleb Cowart, but they signed him. Not yes. as an infielder, they signed him as a infielder slash, slash pitcher. Yes, and I thought that was interesting. And I'm trying to remember. I feel like there was another person. Oh I well, think, uh, Michael Lorenzen that you just you mentioned. Yeah, Lorenzen. But I think that I like. I wonder you, if you remember the guy in the Padres. He was like a catcher reliever. I think they gave yeah. up on the pitching stuff. Yeah. Oh, who? What? Who was that? Um, <laughs> Well, and then there's like Anthony Goes, who kind of washed out as a outfielder, but um, but it's but it's learning. And then there's a is it Jordan Schaefer? There's oh, some guy yes. who was an outfielder for the Braves or somebody yep. who's yep. a minor league pitcher now. I, oh, I yeah, I think that those those are interesting, and, and I'm interested with the the Mariners signing because um, I remember I think it was Chris Crawford said or yeah I think it was Chris Crawford said that when he saw Caleb Cowart coming up, like when he scouted him as a younger person, he always thought that he was going to be a better pitcher than an infielder. That I saw that uh, on Twitter. Was that, that I get the right attribution there? I probably, I, yeah, I definitely Crawford was in a conversation with okay. people about, and that the consensus was that a lot of people, yeah, like it was an industry split. Yeah. Like is he, which is he going to be? Um, Brian Bogus Savage, I remember he did it. Yes. And he got drafted as a two-way player, came up as a two-way player, chose to become an out full-time outfielder. And I remember seeing him pitch actually I think against the Cubs. He was on the Cubs at one point, but he was on the Astros. I think he pitched against the Cubs. And then I saw them playing at playing the White Sox and I was sitting happened to be sitting near his parents <laughs> like Mike why why did your son stop pitching I asked because he looked so pitcherish he's like he just wanted to play he wanted to play every day that was his preference it was his choice so it wasn't like the team said you have to pick one or the other it was like he, he's like I want to stop doing this and be a one-way player I wonder if he would do that differently now right well the 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 environment is a little different now he'd have a lot more value now as yeah. a you know, eighth reliever, fourth outfielder. That is actually a very valuable combination. Because yeah. if you can make those two roster spots kind of, you know, like, oh, we need one more arm in the bullpen yeah. and we need a great hitting guy. You know, like, well, your extra outfielder is also your extra reliever. That may actually be really valuable. Well, I, I wonder if, if Cowart might fulfill that role. Like, uh, See, Mariners. I'm kind of excited for this. It's interesting. Like, so I have a, I have a question. K 
can this is more of like a in player development but can suspend your can this actually happen but is it possible within the rules of baseball to be on more than one minor league roster <laughs> that'd be a tough travel schedule it'd be a tough travel schedule but so like why would you do that how well, could you possibly you were, be two places at once so if you're brendan mckay for example but why would you want to be playing in two different cities all the time well it, like if i was a team again hypothetical uh and it, it might be stupid but if i was a team and my player was you know i wanted him to be facing double a oh, batters but i didn't want him to be facing glove. double okay. a pitchers. well you know this is a problem with players now bat and glove yeah you know, not aligned stuff in command yeah so so is that even possible no not possible no because is it well is how do you do roster management in the minors like I your know contract is signed to a team basically okay team. okay um so no so no it, that, that wouldn't be possible and and logistically, logistically like, obviously it wouldn't but, be yeah, possible, you, but, but i think what happens is if a player is developing asynchronously then you're basically cutting off the lower limb <laughs> you know it's like yeah yeah your pitching totally is lagging sense. don't let that hold you back from getting to the major leagues but if it's like dude your bat is ahead but your bat's not going to get you to the majors you project better as a pitcher you you may be hitting at a level where you're crushing and not being challenged, but it's because your pitching needs to work up. So I think it would be naturally based on, okay, if both project to major league level, then you may wait, you know, you may have to like mismatch on like one of the skills if they're not coming along at the same pace, or you may just simply drop one. Right. All right. So sorry, Brian. I I think that's more like, yeah, but I mean, if you look at how instructional leagues run, like the games aren't real games, like the the, the monkey with the lineups and the innings, and you know, you know, a rehabbing player will bat lead off every right. inning, yeah, on two on two fields in spring, you know, you can maybe you can get that going, but that, you do that for veterans, you know, but for these younger guys who are coming up, I think the the hope is that if they're legitimately a two way player, their skills are going to be comparable, and you don't have this question if there's a big gap then to the point where it's like, this doesn't fit at this level, then or we're holding him back for the wrong reason. Right. You're probably dump, dumping that secondary skill. And, probably going to dump yeah. it, yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. But I think it's definitely interesting. I mean, I wonder how it may impact player pay, but I think the idea of having these reserve players who maybe, you know, can do double duty sounds yeah man like if you can get a few outs and also pinch hit you know like save roster spots are expensive yeah so like if terrence gore could pitch a little (laughs) control slash relief pitcher but you know why not yeah we can can have so we'll see if we'll and get some outfield work we'll see if the mariners truly commit to the slash yeah, I think it would be an interesting, like, Sounds like they are. interesting usage. And hopefully, in spring training, we'll find some others. Like I, that, that may be the new the new thing, where so and so is being uh, prepared as a two way player this year. You know, I'd like to see that happen more. So, what percentage of like people have the skills to even like 
be like serviceable. Like I'm, I'm saying more. It would probably be well. I guess maybe this is a question. Like five percent of the skills to go from fielder. Is it more common to have the skills to go from like hitter to pitcher, or like pitchers who can hit? I would guess it would probably be pitchers that can hit. I think it's more uh, the other. Really? Yeah, hitters who can pitch. It's just our, oh, Christian Beth Bethancourt is the guy. Yeah, that that's him. Is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think it's pitchers who can hit. I mean, hit, excuse me, hitters who can pitch. Because you know, when a pitcher comes, you, oh, it's going to be a small, single three to five percent of each population. Yeah, that's they a good question. Not, show up, but and, it's. Yeah, I could, yeah, it's not many. There aren't. You're not going to have many people who can do this. Period. Like serviceably, like yeah. you have people who can come in and throw in inning of batting practice and a blowout, but to be someone who actually has signals coming from the catcher and has two pitches and things like that, <laughs> right. um, it's just not a lot. It's not. But maybe there's the thing is though. Again, like if if someone's you know I don't like the term four A. But they're a four A pitcher and a four A hitter. That's major leagues. There's value. There, there, yeah, there's totally. Yeah. There's, you can make that. You can make them work in a roster. Yeah. I think it's a big part of like you have to remember. It's like you got to have people. You're trying to fit a roster, and if everybody's constantly running out of pitchers, it seems, and you go into position players, having position players who actually can pitch and get outs are are going to be. Uh, that sounds like a huge value. Yeah, it's also it's not always of... been in blowouts. I mean, some of these have gone early, like fourth inning. Here comes the right fielder into pitch, you know. So there's, you know, and with the way Tampa is really committing to their system, and San Francisco may may also be trying that process of using, you know, Anaheim was kind of the second, you know, the runner up distantly. Tampa and doing it, maybe mm-hmm. maybe San Francisco is going to try it. And I think every team is saying we want good starting pitchers, we want good players, we want guys who specialize in these roles. But if we can't find them, we'll be creative. Let's maximize our roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes sense. I'm all for optimizing the player skills and contributions. So that's good. Because it, it I would like to I would like to think that those guys would get paid accordingly. Like instead of being a triple A. Right. You know. Being in the big leagues, even at a minimum, is a you're lot getting service time. more money. Yeah, it's a lot more money. Yeah. So, so f- for minor leaguers, they don't. They're like even at AAA, like their compensation is is really low. It's just bad. It's embarrassing. Well, like, the way minor league baseball players are paid is is a, is a shame on the industry. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 embarrassing. And like I, it's just bad. <laughs> do you know if so? Let like when somebody gets called up, do they? And so then they start making the the major league minimum, which is like somewhere just like north of five hundred thousand. Yeah. yeah. So do they? They like. You make more in your month call up than you did the yeah, whole year. Yeah, you would, right? Like, Easily, yeah. And then if you get a tiny playoff share, even you know, it's like it's crazy. It's like, wow. it, it's the money is really bad in minors, and it's a, it's and it's their minor league baseball is a critical part of major league baseball. 
you wouldn't have the quality of play in the majors that you have without these minor leagues. So the notion that these players are seasonal apprentices or whatever, oh, these aren't, this, this isn't a career, all the, all the kind of legalese that they try and use to say they don't have to pay these people a minimum wage and all. It's like, I, I, I don't get it. Like, I don't get it. Like, the better your minor league organization is taking care of, the better major league players you'll produce. I, and also, it's just wrong. Like, when you look at how these people are actually living in the minor leagues. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's, it's wrong. It's like, and you're taking advantage of the the myth and dreams of baseball. Right. And it's like the Hollywood rule is the same in baseball and you're expected to work for less money. It's, it's not healthy. No. Well, ultimately it's, you know, there's going to be, well, I mean, I think baseball is feeling it because of the rise of football and basketball as their their popularity you know because people that athletes you know the best athletes are not playing baseball by and large they're playing football basketball and um and soccer and so i think that the baseball's losing out on that even just with you know like just, I'm just speaking like, like minor league American baseball. System. Like it's like if you're, it is not the most attractive career. No, like it's a tough way to go. Like it's 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 more comfortable to go to college. Oh yeah, for sure. And get paid more too. <laughs> you get a scholarship, hopefully, and you play baseball for a university, and you have two potential career paths open to you at that point. Uh, with minor league baseball player, you're living a much harder schedule. You only have one career path and, you know, you're probably, you're probably living, you know, you're, it's a higher risk of like, I'm going to live really lean in this early part because it will pay off later. It's a lot of risk with a minor league baseball player because a lot of them don't make it. And I think baseball saying that most of these people don't make it to the major. So therefore this isn't a career. That's kind of shitty. Yes. It's like, then you're just exploiting these people. And it is okay that most of these guys aren't going to make it, but they're still important and they should yeah. still be playing, being paid for their work. And it's just, we did that. The industry just doesn't pay minor league baseball players. They just do not do it. And most of these guys are not bonus babies. Right. And just to, um, I know we, you just mentioned, um, getting a scholarship for baseball and division one programs can only give out 11.7 scholarships. Okay, I was going to say it was 12 and a half, but it's, it's 11.7. Yeah. So you have to get a whole baseball program on 11.7 scholarships. So even that is difficult kind of sucks. So that's not easy. No, but, yeah, but college sports is another whole other topic. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we it's should be paying show. minor league. The industry should be paying the minor leaguers better. Um, it's not a simple problem to solve right. because they cannot become members of the union that is currently formed. They you could unionize, though, like theoretically, and like right. They form their own union. Yeah. Yes. I think. Then they should. I'm pretty sure baseball will not. <laughs> yeah. um, the other option is for the MLBPA to decertify itself. Right. And then recertify and, then re- and include re- them. Re- 
reform with coverage of a broader population. Because it's nice. Eugene Friedman explained that to me. That's not just like, yeah, let them in. No, it's like there's the union is like it's 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 a very it's a legal process, not just right. a club. Right. So you know you have to have federal approval and things like that. So there's like this is the membership rules. Changing that is to include minor league baseball players is not. It it may basically means starting a new union. So yeah. That's what should probably happen, but or baseball teams could just realize that <laughs> yeah. advantage, and then the rest will follow. Right. Well, either but, way, I think it would be beneficial to have them have a union. Just, I mean, yeah. But yeah, Major League Baseball could do its part and say, just say, we're gonna pay, we're gonna pay you guys more. We're gonna pay you something. So, exactly. and people have like figured it out. It's not that much. Like you can make a pretty amazing difference, and like it's a lot of players, but we're talking about getting people from a just to a living wage. Yeah. I <laughs> think that's like not too much to ask. Yeah. It's, it's kind of bonkers to think about, you know, these people who, you know, conceivably, I mean, like we said, like, like the jump from, you know, playing in triple a or double a or whatever to your September call up or, yeah. or, or even just call, being called up for a week to fill in it's, or something like that. Like you're going to make that much more money. And it's like, man, that's just, this is rough. That's just, it can be better. And there's it really can be better. Yeah. And it won't affect the minor league franchises. They don't pay the players. Right. And it won't affect, I mean, it will affect like all these. Like, these are small businesses. They don't pay the players. Yeah. So don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. The don't, players like, will literally be better. don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. They may get more money from the, their affiliate teams to enhance their facilities. Teams may want to own more of the facilities and things like that. You see that happening. Yeah. So one way or the other, it's going to get paid for by the teams. Yeah. Not are, by the small business owners. Who are who drowning in money even though attendance And is they down. want to attract a team by building a better facility the team doesn't have to invest into. That's a strategic choice they can make. And, and there's a company that specializes in that. Like the people built the Mortal Beach facility. They built a few others. That's what they do. So... It's all going to change. I think you're seeing it gradually where, you know, the farm teams will start being owned by the teams. And But it'd be better to have a consistent thing. Like Major League Baseball has a set of rules and a union for the players. and Pay, pay your players. And so it's going to become a competitive thing, which is fine. That's one way to do it, I guess. The slower yep. way. Yeah. All right. Did not expect to rant about minor league pay tonight, but here no, we are. No, I didn't. If you're gonna ask these guys to play two positions, you're gonna to have to pay them. I'm I'm playing for the Durham Bulls and the Tacoma Rainiers, <laughs> <sighs> and I'm getting paid twelve thousand dollars. <laughs> exactly. I'm eating a community peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah, actually, you know, putting these guys on two rosters, paid twice. There you go. You've solved the minor league pay yeah, problem. Yeah, I figured it out. Hat tip to my friend Chris, who kind of uh, was. Uh, well, he's the new president of minor league baseball. Yeah, yeah, he figured it out. Congratulations, Chris. Yeah. All right. Well, what else you got going on, Harry? That's it. Oh, uh, well, you know, we're gonna have a lot of stuff. Um, I tried to drag Judge in here tonight, but he's busy. Um, oh yeah, we launched a new stat. Yeah, and people complained. Yeah. And some of the, you know, because <laughs> I think we did, we did kind of. Uh, 
underestimate the consistency of certain types of hitters that they need to be addressed. So like singles hitters, the Gwyns, the Carews were getting mistreated. And people were also saying we were overstating certain things and some confusion about how we handle course field. And I don't think those things were so wrong. I think actually those things were better. But we have found already, Judge has been doing some things that indicate that, yeah, if you do some um, slightly different stuff around the singles contribution, uh, it seems to get better. So like some of the big big names that were all under underappreciated, like Clemente, Gwynn, Carew all got improved under this version that we're looking at. And some of the guys who people thought were, you know, like Mark McGuire or Craig Nettles were being really overrated. They went down a little bit, like a tiny bit, a fraction. So it's a very good thing where it's like, okay, this system seems to have been improved by listening to people's feedback. Because what was happening was it's, we underestimated the level of, how much it was impacting single seasons and also how important the career evaluation was. Cause I kind of had other ways of, of dealing with the fact it was compressing careers, but I think we found a, a happy fix where those singles hitters will start getting their due. And this Despite, is for the deserved runs created right. statistic. And those updates are not currently uh, available, but they're not, kind of yeah. in works in review. Is that? Yeah. We'll look at them all day, it seems. So, I'm so sure everything looks good. We'll yeah, we'll have a, I think we'll have next week, I think is the goal, is to have the update, full write-up. Some articles about the methodology, some actual code samples from the models. Um, possibly some more educational videos on it. And hopefully Judge coming on here to talk with us. Yeah. But it went really great. I'm very happy with it. And the performance yeah, of the metric, year-to-year, the reliability, and all these things that Jonathan uses to to assess actually got better with this fix, which is really cool. So I know some people were, like, legit offended. Like, it's it's, it's never, like, it's, it never ceases to amaze me is that people actually get mad at us as people as opposed to, hey, there's a potential flaw here. And if you address it, your product will be better, which is what we, which is what we expect you to people. There are some nasty people. <laughs> like that some, you know, when you build a big, complicated thing, sometimes you make a mistake, and that mistake may be noteworthy and important to fix. But wow, uh, people take it personally. Yeah. Well, I, and, I think yeah, one I, thing is like we definitely welcome feedback well, we and discussion. Feedback. Yeah. But I think that like yeah, like you said, like when it turns to some sort of personal thing, um, yeah, yeah it gets a little weird. But it makes and then it's like harder to kind of like focus on the on what might be useful feedback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like oh, coming could, could compete the same people. Like some this isn't just like baseball fans were angry. There's like statisticians who can do just the pointing out of the, the, the mistake or the explaining to us really why that it is a mistake and not just a thing like well yeah that's just part of how this works like that's doesn't that makes it not work you you can you have to you have to get over this kind of rigid only one season purview of, of data and it turns out that's true with the single sitters uh so okay 
that's good. We got that. But the, the <laughs> there were a few people that that came with like actual vitriol and and uh, they kept it up too. Like it's like, hey, okay, appreciate your feedback. We're going to be working on that. And it's like oftentimes when people like point out flaws and mistakes, it's like you, you end up wanting to collaborate and partner with these people because it's like, oh, they have insight. They see things. They communicate something to us. Yeah. But unfortunately, uh, <laughs> that doesn't always happen. This is about a team of people building a large, complex animal. This isn't about a person doing some math. It's about building like and constructing uh, a product. And it's it's not what people think it is <laughs> and mistakes will happen. Things can be improved and we know that they will be. And we agree that it was undercounting singles. We thought it might be a bit of an issue. It was definitely a bigger issue than, than, than we appreciated. And it was good to know because we immediately turned around, focused on fixing it like right away. That's all good. That's how things are supposed to work. Be a part of the solution. We're, we are going to continue to push and do work, and we're going to continue to make mistakes. We're going to continue to do things that people think could be done better, and we'll go back and, when we agree, we'll do better. Our whole thing is to listen to what people say to us. Uh, there's no need to beat your chest, insult people, create alt accounts. <laughs> uh it's not helpful there's because there's a lot of people who are like helpful and they they help move knowledge forward so if we'll continue to be open we'll continue to produce things that are 95 percent done and get we'll we'll continue to get yelled at about the five percent but uh we're actually very proud of this work we think it is actually a good metric to have we think the improvements that we're putting into it are going to make it even better it's not bad now. It's just flawed in a different way than people are used to, but it's a substantial flaw, and that's fixed, and people will be, people will be much more pleased with it. And I think we'll probably talk to Jonathan about this um, when he comes on, but like just the evolution of a, a metric or a statistic and um, the model mm -hmm. and, and things like that, like that, that that's actually an important component of... Uh, of, of how we're doing things and what we want to continue doing is learning. And growing, yeah. And what, what I've learned from this is that we need additional gating criteria for a metric and we need more outside reviewers. Yep. That's what I've learned. I haven't learned that we're bad at math or that we did something wrong in the model. I just learned, you know, we need outside reviewers who will make it a little more clear because we have people who are kind of outsiders that are just advisors, you know, academic types and, you know, statisticians and, and whatnot. We've actually added one recently. But they even become part of the internal dialogue. And so they may help, you know, like set the criteria and then realize when we get to the public, it's like, yeah, oh, you know, that wasn't, we didn't quite have the right exit criteria for this product. We need, we need to fix that. All right. That, that's my lesson from this is that we treat the stats more like a product. And because the process we have internally and the, the review processes and the rigor that goes that goes into this is astounding. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how much better we can get as an internal 
group in terms of like stopping things like this from happening. So I'm like, all right, get some more external reviewers. And there's so that we're going to be inviting people in to have early insights into our, our baseball stats and things. And, you know, you heard it here, folks. So, yeah. So DRC is going to be updated a little bit. I don't, I, it's not going to change all, all everything. There'll be a few guys that will change. It's, it seemed to really work for like this 5%, you know, strange people who are actually singles hitters as a skill. Right. We've also come across some funny things to think about in doing this and that there is a cost to being a singles hitter because are you optimizing your skills or are you selling out the possibility for more extra base hits? Right. And I think that the answer is in some cases, yes, just because of the way certain players have, you know, you hear about these good contact guys or good batting practice guys who don't bring that to the game, who make and make an adjustment either mentally where they just let it, let it, let it hang in the games or make a slight change to their swing path or change their approach to what they swing at, uh, you will see improvement. So it's like, you know, going the other way, hitting behind the runner, all these things are good to do. But if you go in there making that your focus as opposed to your fallback, you're giving things up. So if you're a hitter who's using that as a focus, when you have the skills to go beyond that, you may want to investigate making more outs, which is a very strange thing for me to say. Right. (laughs) And I bet we will probably dig into that a little bit more next week or next episode, whenever it is with Jonathan. We'll kind of dig into it a little bit more. And uh, until then, goodbye baseball.